Uh, now, if you've got your bit of paper, uh, I'm going to read uh, the little Bible passage that we have today from Colossians. And it says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Shall we pray? Lord God, you who said, let light shine out of darkness, we pray that tonight, by the power of your Spirit, that you would shine your light into each one of our hearts. So Lord God, please come by your Spirit and work in each one of us, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Well, we're starting this evening a new sermon series. It's going on for four weeks. It's called The Big Picture, and it has, I would say, a very big aim. It is trying, very simply, this four-week sermon series is trying to give us, give you, give me the big picture on life so that you and I, so that we might understand life clearly. Now, I'm aware that is no small aim to say a four-week series of talks is going to help us to understand the whole of life clearly. It's a big aim. Uh, One of the best-selling books of this year so far has been by the psychologist Jordan Peterson. It's called 12 Rules for Life. And so many people are saying this book has completely revolutionized their life as they've been starting to put those rules into practice. It is number five on the Amazon bestseller list. Uh, It is uh, Loads of people are just raving about it. I personally, I'm sure it had some good stuff. I haven't read it. I've got to be sure. Uh, Who has read it here? Just out of interest. There we are. Jamie Mulvaney. Look at him. You can see the transformation in him as a result. Now, um, my intellect is not a patch on Peterson's, but I want to contend that this little four-week sermon series will help you and me understand life far better even than Peterson's 12 rules. And here's why. Fifteen years ago, when I was 26, I just finished being a management consultant. I just started working as a church pastor, my first sort of church pastor job, as one of the associate ministers at All Souls Langham Place at the top end of Regent Street. And the rector of that church at that time was a wonderful man called Richard Buse. And Richard Buse, one of the things he used to talk about again and again and again were the four planks of the Bible. And he said, what he said was, he said there are four planks of the Bible. There are four main themes of the Bible. And whatever subject you want to think about in life, it could be any subject at all, whether it's you know, work, romance, the environment, immigration, London marathons, whatever subject it might be, he said that to think about them clearly and to, to draw the right conclusion about those things, you should think about them through the lens of those four planks. And those four planks that he said, he were, they were these. He said they were creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Or as in the titles of, this, of the sermons over the next few weeks, created, broken, reconciled, and renewed. Now, it's a bit like when you, when you go to the opticians for an eye test, as I did the other week, and I came out with what my children are affectionately referring to as old vicar glasses. Here they are. Um, but when you have your eye test... 
Uh, you'll, you'll know it if you've had an eye test recently. They give you these sort of funny glasses-like things that have got lots of slots in front of them. And then they, they get lots of lenses and they shove all these different lenses in front of you and this contraption that sort of looks like glasses. And eventually, after they shoved all these different lenses in, suddenly, after all these different lenses are in, suddenly you can see crystal clear. Well, if you like, that is what we are trying to do over the next four weeks. We're trying to put in lots of different lenses, these four lenses, to help us see the world, to help us see life crystal clear. Today, we're going to put in the creation lens, and then over the next three weeks, we're putting the other lens, the broken lens, the reconciled lens, the renewed lens. And we're trying to build up this big picture, this big picture on the world, big picture on life, to help us see the world crystal clear. And tonight, we're going to be thinking about this first lens, created. Now, here's a simple summary. It's a simple summary. Either nothing created something out of nothing, as an atheist would believe. Or God created something out of nothing, as a Christian would believe. Those are the only two options. Either nothing created something out of nothing, or God created something out of nothing. Now let's recognize that the Bible, particularly Genesis chapter 1, isn't answering the how and when questions of creation, but rather the who and the why questions. So not how was the world made, not when was it made, but rather who made the world and why was it made. But creation, this earth, and and everything that is in this earth and on this earth, it may have come about over millions and millions of years through all sorts of evolutionary processes, but if you are here this evening and if you're a Christian, you believe ultimately in a creator. And in that sense, you and I, in that sense, we are creationists because we believe in a creator. Someone has created you, someone has created me, Someone has created this world, and that is Almighty God. And this evening, what I would love us to think about, I'd love us to think about three things that that creation, you and I being created, this world being created, three things that that, 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 that teaches us. And the first area concerns the origin of creation. The origin of creation. If you want to take notes, you'll see a little sort of table thing that you can fill in uh, over the next 20 minutes or so. The first area is the origin of creation of creation. Who created it? Well, Genesis 1 verse 1, the very first verse of the entire Bible says this, in the beginning God, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, saying that everything finds its origin in God. And so the origin of creation demonstrates to you and me the power of God. What God says happens. The phrase, if you read Genesis 1, that comes again and again, it goes like this. It says, and God said, so da 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 da, and it was so. And God said, da 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 da, and it was so. And it was so. And it was so. What God says happens. It's showing us that God is powerful. God is powerful. What he says happens. And so why, for you and I, why worship the sun? Why worship money? Why worship David Attenborough? Why worship Jordan Peterson, the psychologist? Why worship any of them when we can worship the God who has made them all? God is powerful. And what I'd love you to note this evening is just look at how Paul, in this little reading that we're looking at in Colossians, just look at how Paul links Jesus to this origin of creation. 
Just have a look at it on the sheet again. Colossians 1 verse 15 says this. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him. See, these verses here, they link Jesus as the God who created the entire cosmos. All things have been created through Jesus. And here, if you like, here is the big picture on life. Here's the lens to look through as a result of that. Because God created the world, and because God created you, and because God created me, it means you and I, we are made for a purpose. We're not just random. We are made for a purpose. Life has a purpose. Richard Dawkins finishes um, his uh, book, River Out of Eden. It's a fascinating book. And he finishes River Out of Eden with these famous lines. He says this. He says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. An uplifting few lines there, eh? But that, it is a totally accurate conclusion. If this created lens does not exist. If God is not the originator of this world, Dawkins is right to be pessimistic. What Dawkins says, it is a a true conclusion if nothing created something out of nothing. And so can I say to you, if you are wrestling with this question, does God exist? Or are we all here by chance? There's no purpose in life. If you are wrestling with that question, and it's a great question to be wrestling with, please come along to Alpha on Tuesday. It is exactly the kind of question that we will be wrestling with on Tuesday night. I'd love to see you there. So that's the first thing we looked at. We looked at the origin of creation. Second thing we're going to learn from is the order of creation. The order of creation. Now, I'm sure if you've read the the Genesis account, the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 recently, you would have noticed that it is a very ordered account. Now, it's poetry. I don't think the the, the six days of creation are literal six 24-hour time periods. It's poetry. But it is a very ordered account. If you look at it, the first three days are all about separating. And then the second three days, days four, five, and six, are all about filling. And if you look at it sometime, the days sort of pair off. So day one fits with day four. Day two fits with day five. Day three fits with day six. There's an amazing order to the creation account. And that amazing order, it mirrors the amazing order of this world. And that order is why science is possible. Some people say it. You've probably heard people say it. They say, the more that science helps us to understand the world, the less there is a need for God to exist. Good science explains things, God doesn't need to exist. But I would say that is totally not true. It is coming to completely the wrong conclusion. Because the, the explainability of the world, the fact that things can be explained through science, it does not point us towards the absence of God. It is the wrong conclusion. 
It doesn't point us towards the absence of God at all. The fact of the explainability of the world points us not to the absence of God, but to the goodness of God. That God is good. That God has ordered things. He has set them up in an ordered way so that life works, so this world works, so that it's beautiful, so that it can be investigated and explained. And he doesn't just create the world and sort of sit back and just say, let's see how it goes from there. But he not just creates, but he sustains the world. He keeps it going. Just look at the next verse, verse 17 in our, our, our little passage from Colossians. Look at what he says. He says, Jesus is before all things, and in him... All things hold together. I think that is one of the most wonderful phrases there is. In Jesus, all things hold together. There's nothing in your life, there is no area of your life that is outside of Jesus' control. Let's be honest, there are times when it feels like that. When things go wrong, when life is difficult, it feels like Jesus is not possibly in control of that area. But here is the truth. In Jesus, all things hold together. All things. This week, a, um, a member of my extended family was, um, they'll remain nameless, but they were traveling on public transport from Fulham to Clapham. Uh, but they managed to get on the wrong train, and they ended up in Wembley. Um, and um, that was for a number of reasons that they got on the wrong train, but one of the reasons was because they weren't wearing their glasses, and so they couldn't see what the signs were on the platform. Now, Actually, I think we go wrong as Christians, offer up for the same reason. Because we don't bother to put on the glasses. We don't bother to put on that created lens. We don't look through that created lens. And so we get life wrong in all sorts of ways as a result. We end up in Wembley rather than Clapham. Let me show you what I mean in three areas, three E's. Here's the first one. First E is employment, our work. If you and I, if we don't wear the created lens, if we don't look at the world through, uh, and we don't look at work through the created lens, we'll think that our work is just something to be depressed about. Something that's frustrating, that our employment is something to, to be endured, or if we've got enough money to be avoided altogether. Please don't get me wrong. In all work, in all jobs, including mine as a vicar, there will be times of frustration, plenty of frustrations, I can tell you if you want to know. But the creation lens reminds us that work fundamentally is a good thing. Because work is there in the Garden of Eden. God is working. Humans are working. You can look at the verses from Genesis 2 if you want to look them up later. Work, it is there before the fall and before sin enters this world. Eden was not a playground, but it was a place of work. And that means that our work is not something that we should try and escape from or try and think is totally unimportant, but actually work is a good thing and it can be a source of satisfaction. Now, yes, there is for all Christians a work that we should be involved in over and above the work of our employment. We should all be involved in the work of pointing other people to Jesus. But work in of itself, is a good thing. That's looking at work through the created lens. Second E, uh, employment we've had. Let's have a look at the environment. The environment. Uh, as Christians, because of that creation lens, we're not just interested in spiritual matters. We should be interested in physical matters as well. All that is created. Now, of course, we don't worship creation. We don't sort of worship Mother Earth. 
but neither is that a license to desecrate the earth. Genesis 1 verse 28 tells us we are to be stewards, stewards of God's creation. We're to be good stewards of it. Again, most fundamentally, the way to save the planet is ultimately not through environmental solutions, but it is through Jesus. This world, it will be renewed. It will be restored ultimately and completely because of Jesus, not because of any eco-warrior. But still, you and I, we are to be good stewards of this world that God has put into our care. And that is what happens. We are good stewards if we are looking at this world through the created lens. Now, that's going to mean different things for different people. Let me just give you a couple of examples. You know, HTC, this year we've opted to go with a renewable supply for our electricity. I love it how increasingly people are coming to church and rather than using all the disposable cups, you've all got, a lot of you have got their keep cups to, to have your coffee in. That is an example of trying to minimize waste, being good stewards. And then the third E, we've had employment, we've had environment, third E, enjoyment. I wonder if you saw this week, it was in the press, uh, the comedian David Baddiel's tweet uh, with a photo of his son staring at his phone rather than admiring the beautiful scenery he was in. And you'll see it up there, and Baddiel wrote, my son hypnotized and overawed as ever by the beauty of nature. You know, as Christians, we can be in a similar danger. We can be a similar danger of being so focused. Actually, many of us are too focused on our phones, but not fo- we're so focused not on our phones, but focused on what we think is, 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 if you like, spiritual things. We're so focused on the spiritual things that we forget the beauty of nature. We forget to enjoy life. We are not to look negatively at material things. You know, all sorts of things, sport, theatre, comedy clubs, I don't know, model train clubs, quiz nights in, the, in Trinity House, whatever it may be, they are all good things to enjoy. It doesn't matter. No, they're not Bible studies. It doesn't matter. We can still enjoy them. Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 4, he says, Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So if I was trying to summarize, if I was trying to summarize, what does it mean for us to, to look through the created lens at the life, at this world? It is to say that life can be joyful. Life can be joyful. It is so sad when, when Christians are, or when Christians are seen to be, sort of boring party poopers just going through life. Not interested in the wonder of life. Not interested in all the variety of work that we can be doing. Not interested in this world that we live in. Life can be joyful. But please let's remember that this creation lens that we're thinking on tonight, it is not the only lens of a Christian worldview. If you and I, if you, I said to you, we've got to look through the creation lens and that's all we look through. We could go, well, God is a creator. It's wonderful God is a creator and he's put us in this wonderful world. Isn't that fantastic? If we just thought that, we would be very naive and we would be very quickly disillusioned. Because very quickly we will face disappointment. We will face struggle. We will face difficulty. 
You see, as well as the origin of creation and the order of creation, we also need to be clear of the objective of creation. The objective of creation. As you and I, if we, if we read the creation account in the Bible, we discover that the pinnacle of all creation is humans, us. In Genesis 1, we read every day, it was good, it was good, it was good. Then we get to day six, uh, humans are created, and it suddenly says, not it was good, but it was very good. It was very good. And yet, you know, the ultimate climax of the creation account is not day six, God creating us in his own image, but actually the ultimate climax is day seven. Day seven, a day when God rested. A day when, unlike all the other days, it is blessed. A day like all the other days when there is no end. It says, it doesn't say there was evening and there was morning, the seventh day. It doesn't say that like it does for the other days because the seventh day is to be an eternal day. It is the day of humans in perfect relationship with God. Us, you and I, enjoying God and God enjoying us forever. Now what does that teach us? It teaches us that God is relational. God is relational and that the ultimate objective of creation is that life is all about relationship with God through Jesus. I wonder if you noticed, as we've um, gone through the little passage of Colossians 1, 15 to 17, I've read all the words apart from three. There's three words I haven't read yet. I wonder if you spotted what they are. It comes at the end of verse 16. Just look at the last line of verse 16. End of verse 16 says, all things have been created through him, through Jesus. I've said that. Then there's three more words. All things have been created through him and for him. And for him. You and I, we have been created through Jesus. But also you and I have been created for Jesus. We've been created to be in relationship with Jesus Forever. But of course, as we'll be reminded next week, from Genesis 3 onwards, our sin got in the way of that relationship. In Genesis 1, we are described as being made in the image of God. But now for all of us, post-Genesis 3, that image of God, it's still there in us, but the image of God, it has been broken, it's been marred, it's been, it's been distorted. And do you know what transforms that distorted, marred image of God in you and me? What transforms it is that Jesus, Jesus, the one who in Colossians 1.15 is described as the perfect image of the invisible God, Jesus, the perfect image of the invisible God, that image, it was marred. It was disfigured. It was punished at the cross. So that the image of God in you and me might be restored and mended. As I close this sermon, I wonder if you know what is the very first verse in the Old Testament that is quoted somewhere in the New Testament. The very first verse is Genesis 1 verse 3. Genesis 1 verse 3, where it says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. And Paul quotes that verse as he's writing to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, and he writes this. He says, For God, 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now here's the truth. Because of Jesus, what God has done for creation, letting light shine out of darkness, what God has done for creation, he can do for you too. He can let light shine out of the darkness in your life. So my one question for each one of you tonight really is, where is the darkness in your life at the moment? Where is that darkness for you? Maybe it's in that first box. Actually, the darkness for you is that you feel you're lacking in purpose. You're not sure what your purpose in life is. You're not sure where you should be heading. Is that the darkness for you at the moment? Maybe tonight for the first time has been a reminder to you that you are created by God. That you're not purposelessness. You're not purposeless because God has created and he created you and he has a purpose for you. And you would love him to shine his light into the darkness of your life in that area. Maybe for, for some others here, the darkness is more in that second box. That if you're honest at the moment, life is not joyful for you. Maybe in your life there's a darkness, a, a heaviness, maybe something worse. Maybe there is a dark and a difficult situation that you are in at the moment. And maybe that darkness is causing you to have no joy. And you would love God to come and shine his light into that darkness. Or maybe the darkness for you in life at the moment is due to you not yet being in relationship with Jesus. And actually, you are recognizing today that you need to step into the light, to turn to Jesus, and to let Jesus shine his light into your life. It would be the most wonderful thing if you were to do that tonight. And I want to see, say, wherever it is for you, wherever it is that that darkness is for you, please hear this. Please hear that the God who created this entire world, this entire cosmos, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that same God can shine his light into your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Shall we stand and let's pray for it? I wonder if the band uh, would like to come up. Let's stand and we're going to ask God uh, by his spirit to work in each one of us. As we stand, let's pray. Father God, may you work by the power of your Spirit in this place right now, just as you worked by your Spirit in creation. We pray that you might make us 
new creations. And Jesus, we pray that you would shine your light into our darkness. Just as the Spirit's at work amongst us, I'd love you just to, in the quietness of your heart, just come before the Lord and just acknowledge to him where you know darkness in some way. To come before him and to say, God, you were the one who created this world, who created me. Would you shine your light into my darkness? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. I'm going to ask the prayer team just to, some of them to come to the front, to the right and the left here. And uh, in a moment we're going to respond in worship. But if you know there is some darkness, whatever those three boxes it is or, or some other bit, that actually you would like someone to pray for you, that God might shine his light into that darkness. We'd love to pray for you tonight. So I'd love as the prayer team come forward, if that's you. It doesn't have to be some sort of giant, deep, dark thing, just something that is causing you pain, and you would love God to shine his light into that area of your life. We'd love you to come forward and pray with someone and ask them to pray that God would shine his light into that darkness. So we're going to respond in worship now. Some of the prayer team can come forward and then come forward if you'd like uh, to pray now. Let's respond.